So one of the things we love to do in our household is watch first-person accounts of history. I, I particularly like sports stories, you know, where it's, it's that background story that you didn't know about an athlete that, you know, they interview them. And I don't know about you, but I, I've long said that I'm a teary-eyed kind of guy. Like, I really like good, meaningful stories. And so we watch those all the time, accounts of history. One of our favorite shows are these TV shows where something terrible is happening. It's the first-person account of what happened to that person. And they share it, and they're like, you're going, ooh, I didn't know that happened. And then you get to hear the outcome. And I, I don't know about you, but every once in a while you hear the person talking about the story and what happened to them in it. And then at the first of the story, as it starts to get worse, you're like, did they survive? And then you remind yourself, they are talking. So, yeah, they kind of did. Um, I love first-person accounts because it reminds you of real humanity. It reminds you that things really do happen in life to other people outside of you. I, maybe you've never had this moment. Maybe it's just me, but um, I am always reminding myself that not all the world sees through my eyes. How about you? I mean, you see someone that it's completely opposite of you in how you think or how you act. And so when they do that, you're like, why in the world would they do that? And I mean, our initial thought is, how mental do they have to be? And then you start to go, not everybody thinks the way that you do. This sermon series that we're going to start starting today, we're actually going to do it in, in two parts. We're going to go through the early life of Peter and then we'll come back in a later series and kind of finish out his life and ministry uh, together. But to kind of get a grip on who Peter is, we've got to look at Scripture and put him in context before we get to uh, the fullness of where we're going to be today in Scripture. So do me a favor, open up your Bibles, and you might just start by uh, hitting Luke chapter 5 and just kind of leaving your marker there or a piece of paper or something. That is going to be where we are going to be today in scripture. And so Luke chapter 5 and verse 1 is our major text today. But I want to talk to you before we get into the text of Luke chapter 5, I want to identify who this guy Peter is because it all plays a part in who he really was as we dive through scripture. He is he is going to share his story with us. This is the behind the scenes moment of Peter's life. And it really does make a difference when you know who the person is, what's really happening in their story, how things affect them differently. And so let's just look at text together. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Um, that tells us that uh, Peter was a fisherman. He, uh, he was called by Jesus out from being a fisherman. And we'll get to more of that text here in a minute. Uh, but in 418, it says, As they were walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting nets into the sea since they were fishermen. So we get his skill trade at this point, And we got to realize things are kind of different in biblical times than they are in ours. Um, in biblical days, if your dad owned a business and he got along in years and you didn't make it to be a, a priest, you would take on your father's trade. You would take on his family lineage. You would carry that on to the next generation, to the next generation, and to the next. And in this moment, we get Peter is a fisherman. This is his skill trade. He's inherited this trade from his fathers before him. 
So he's somebody that is in the family business. And maybe you're that kind of person that you're in the family business much like Peter is as well. Luke 5, 8 says this about Peter. He's confronted by Jesus and he says, Lord, you're going to have to depart from me because I'm a, a sinful man. So we have that in common with him for sure. You're in a skill and you're a sinner. Scripture tells us for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. So you have that in common with Peter as well. Not only do you have a skill, not only are you a sinful man, but maybe you didn't hear this in Scripture as you were growing up. Have you ever read a book as a child and then gone back and read it later or watched a movie as a child and gone back and watched it later and didn't catch things in it as a child that you do as an adult? I've often read through Scripture time and time again, and as I was preparing this sermon series, I ran across a Scripture that I don't know why I've passed it over before, but it's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Matthew 8, 14, and it it just says this, And Jesus went to Peter's house because his mother-in-law was ill. So that means what? Peter is miserable. Yes, um, his mother-in-law lives at his house. That's why he stays out on the boat all the time. He's like, let's go fishing. I'm just kidding. If you're a mother-in-law here today, God bless you. Um, I've got a good mother-in-law. She lives a long ways away from me. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Um, But Jesus goes to Peter's house to heal his mother-in-law. Peter's a married man. And let's look at context of, of social context. A man could get married to a woman after the age of 18. So that means this. Peter is at least beyond the age of 18. Here's what it also means. Um, He has to pay some taxes now in his life. We get this incredible moment in Scripture in Matthew 17, starting verse 24, where a tax collector comes to collect money from Jesus and Peter, and he meets Peter and he says, hey, doesn't your master teach you to pay taxes? And Peter goes, well, yeah. And he walks in the house to meet Jesus, and Jesus goes, hey, who do you think has to pay taxes? The tax collector's sons or everybody else? And he goes, well, everybody else. He goes, yeah, so sons are free. What he's trying to teach him is this. You're free, Peter. You're free, but here's the deal. We live in this country, so we're going to pay our taxes. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down and go fishing. Peter's like, I'm in. I'm good at that. He goes, the first fish you catch, I want you to pull it up, and inside the fish's mouth will be taxes, not only for you, but also for me. This is a really strange scripture because it kind of sets a precedent that many scholars think is interesting. Why are Jesus and Peter the only two people that had to pay taxes of the disciples? Because most scholars believe that the other disciples weren't old enough yet. Maybe it's just Peter and Jesus that are old enough to pay taxes at this point. Which would mean this, that Jesus put together a youth group. You imagine that for a second? Put that in terms of Scripture, and I'm not claiming that today. I'm just telling you what scholars are saying. If he has a group of students with him, as he's going through this ministry, imagine how different everything becomes then. Jesus is investing in these teenagers then. And he's teaching them how to go change the world. And he puts it into the hands of young people. And he says to them, go change the world. And he has this one old dude. And he says, hey, you got to come with me. And by old, I'm saying he's probably in his 30s. 
And he says, come with me. By the way, a rabbi could start taking on disciples at the age of 30. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus, Rabbinoi, as we, we hear him called, rabbi, is old enough now to have disciples. And the rabbis would go into the temple and they would take on a group of, of men who were all teenagers. So here's a rabbi walking with a group of disciples. And they followed this man with the exceptional one. And his name is Peter. Imagine what his life looks like. He's married. He's carrying on the family business at this point. He's got a brother that's now with him. That he's, I mean, he's working around teenagers. And he's out there and he's fishing. He's got a mother-in-law at home that's sick. He's got pressures of this world. Maybe your story and Peter's story sound really similar now, don't they? So let's put that in context of the start of our time together in Luke chapter 5. Starting with verse 1. Luke 5, verse 1, it says this, As the crowds were pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gesineret, and he saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them or were washing their nets. I want to stop you there to tell you they are done for the day. They would have washed their nets and hung them up and let them dry out and get ready for the next day. They're done. So their boats are close to the shore. They're washing their nets. Verse 3 says, Jesus got in one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. <laughs> I, I just want you to catch Simon's heart now, y'all. He's tired. Um, he's worn out. He's now a little probably irritated that here's some teacher that's climbed into his boat and has already given him directions. Push out a little bit so I can teach from your boat. And here he is listening. And he's, we don't get the sermon that Jesus preaches in this moment. We just know he preaches. And Peter's listened to what Jesus has said. So Peter's response is this, Master, we've worked hard all night long and have caught nothing. I, I want to stop there and just say, Peter in this moment is not only tired, he's not already probably a little bit kind of like, man, how much longer am I going to have to do this? He's ready to go home and go to sleep. Remember, he's got the pressure of home. He's got the pressure of family, and he's caught nothing. Which means this, that all of the fishing that he's done, his livelihood has amounted to no paycheck. So he's weary. Lord, we've been at all night long, and we didn't catch anything. But listen to what Peter says next. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. All night long they fished in this one point, in this one area. And all night long they've caught nothing. But now all of a sudden, here's this rabbi, this teacher who's now in his boat. He doesn't know him. This is his encounter with him. And in this moment, all the rabbi says is, let's push out and let's go fishing. And Peter's worn. He's tired. He's pressured. I mean, how do you go home and tell your wife, we didn't catch anything? I don't know if you've ever had that desperation moment in your life where you have nothing to bring home. 
But if you have never been there, you don't know that sinking gut feeling. I've been there. Where you come home and you tell your wife, I've got nothing. And in that moment, that gut feeling, here's Peter bewildered washing his nets and some rabbi steps on his boat. And now that rabbi's called him to midday fish, which is not going to be a happening thing. And he's like, that's your word. Nets go down. Fish come in. They start to pull and their nets start to break. I wonder at what point Peter starts to go, this isn't ordinary. Something's happened. And I don't know what it is and I can't explain it, but there's something different about this guy in this boat. He signals. The other boat comes over and they all pull this fish up and it falls into their boats and the boats start to crest over that water line. Water's starting to rush in. And in the moment of that, I imagine there's some, you know, excitement and maybe even some fear. How are we going to get back to the shore? At this point, Peter has caught the biggest catch of his life. His boat is going under. His partner's boat is going under. And they're just absolutely blown away. And in verse 8, if you can imagine, as fish are all around them and the boat is beginning to sink and water is rushing in, it says in verse 8, and when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those that were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Those guys sound familiar too, don't they? Don't be afraid, Jesus said to Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. They brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. This sentence in Scripture may be the most pivotal understanding of why Peter is such a powerful follower of Jesus. I want to stop this sermon and move you into another story right quick. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? This young guy comes up to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, Shouldn't you follow the commandments? And the young man says, I've followed those since I was a youth. And Jesus says, great. Now go and sell all you have and follow me. In context, what Jesus is saying is, to follow me, you have to leave everything. And to this rich young ruler, he couldn't catch this. But I know someone in that story that did. Peter. You see, Peter's livelihood was not just his own, was it? It was his brothers. It was his partners. It was his parents. It was his mother-in-laws. You see, Peter carried the weight of a lot of family on his shoulders. And in context of that story, when he tells the rich young ruler, leave everything you have and follow me, Peter in his mind must have gone, I've done that. I've made that choice. Because of this story right here, In verse 11, they brought the boats to land and left everything. What's in the boat? The greatest catch of Peter's life. I mean, here's the moment of wealth for Peter. Here's the moment of bragging, and we as men, we like to brag, don't we? Y'all ever had this moment? Hey, so how'd the fishing go? Oh, man, it was great. I mean, I'm practically on the circuit now. Like when it comes to fishing, I'm, I'm pretty much the best ever. Well, how big were your fish you caught? You know, 
They were all at least this big. Really? Where were you fishing? Medi Park. Uh, I, I mean, come on, right? By the way, uh, this is a side note. Are there anybody in here that catches fish at Medi Park and eats them? God bless you. Come walk the aisle at the end of service today. You're going to need some healing. Uh, anyways, uh, not, I'm not judgmental. I just, mm, praise the Lord. Anyways, so in this moment, here's the greatest catch of Peter's life. He should have been the one that got to go in that night to his sellers, his buyers, and go, look what I got. He should have been able to go to all the other fishermen that probably ridiculed Peter that night for catching nothing and going, <laughs> fools, look what I got. Should have been able to go in and hold up his nets. You see this net? Should have been able to go home that night to his wife and say, you see all this money? Hey, Dad, you see what we caught? Hey, everybody, you see what I am? But instead that day, as they get back to shore, all of these men instinctively go, this is nothing compared to that man. And so they leave it and follow him. Amen. That's who Jesus is, y'all. And that's something we need to get from Peter today. Do you not think that as Peter walked away from that boat, he felt a loss? Do you not think that as Peter left there, he wasn't thinking about his family? Do you not think that Peter was real and had real feelings and real emotions? Because in this moment, Peter leaves it all behind to follow a man who has just told him, from now on, you're going to fish for men. Let me just ask you a question. Those of you that are not church world thinkers, because I feel like we get lost in church world thinking a lot because we stay in church all of our lives, so things become easily understandable. Here's a guy that's fished for fish all his life. And this man on his boat has just told him, now you're going to fish for men. To me, that sounds like cannibalistic to a fisherman. But in that moment, Peter saw something in Jesus' words that changed his life. Peter didn't understand the end result. He, at this point in that boat, had no idea that Jesus would die on the cross for people's sins. He'd wipe away the sins of the world. That, none of that's in Peter's mind. All he gets is, here's a man who changed Peter's world like that. And that was worth leaving everything for. So what can we gain from Peter's story today? Here's the first. When Jesus shows up, we need to listen. When Jesus says, let's put out into the deep, Peter, Peter gives him the same story that we give, Jesus. Lord, I've been at this a long time. Lord, I, I've done all this, but at your word. That at your word is such an obedient moment from Peter that Peter is drawn to do whatever this man is going to say because I don't know what that sermon was, but I believe that the reason he sat at the edge of Peter's boat to preach is not because of the crowd. He needed Peter to hear this story. He needed Peter to hear the sermon. Because he was going to give Peter the keys to the church and tell him to run. He's going to tell Peter eventually through the work of the Holy Spirit to start a new path at Pentecost. Everything's about to change. And he needs one man, this fisherman, this married man, this sinner dude, to catch fire. And he had to catch fire while standing in the middle of a, a lake. He had to catch fire in the midst of water. 
And so in this moment, as he's sitting there, as Peter's watching this, he sees Jesus show up, and he follows this word. So when Jesus shows up in our lives, we need to listen. I believe that it is the charge of every Christian to spend the rest of their lives searching for the voice of God in their life. Now, I want to tell you something. Not every voice you're going to hear in your life is going to be from God. In fact, I believe this, that the enemy really likes to speak into your life. He's going to give you some alternatives to truth. That's why you got to spend time in the Word. That's why you need accountability in your life. Because if you don't have that, then you're going to follow every voice you hear and your life's going to become confusion. That's not of God. It is the challenge of a growing Christian to search for the voice of God. That's why you need the intentional time in the Word. That's why you need intentional time in prayer. That's why you need fellowship. It's not just to show up at church for the sake of marking something off a list. It's because you want to be an intentional person that's listening for the voice of God. I desperately want to be following the voice of God. I want that for you too. So when Jesus shows up, we've got to listen to next. Like Peter, Jesus' word is enough. I've discovered this, that I I bet I could buy a thousand books for you to read as a church. And most of you, 85% of you would read them. But I kind of wonder, when are we going to finally find out that the Bible is enough? That the theologies of men are always skewed to men's thoughts, but Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. The Holy Spirit still uses Scripture to speak into our lives. We need the time in there. God's Word's enough. And we need it. We need it desperately. Um, when I was in high school, we, we had two-a-days in football, which meant they just punished us twice a day for wanting to play football. Um, I remember we'd get up early and we'd run, and we'd run on blacktop. And, and so we would, we'd start out in the field house, we'd run around the track, and then we'd run through the community. And really that was just like to see how much you can sweat before you, you upchuck, really is what that was. And they were pretty good at that. And we would run blacktop until we couldn't. Then we'd walk back to the field house. And then the evening, we'd run plays. And that was the, kind of the fun part, right? You finally got to put on a helmet. You couldn't wear shoulder pads. You had to wear you know, short shirt and a helmet. You got to play, and that was a blast, and you learned a lot about football skills. But as we kind of got used to that, we, you would always find yourself doing this. And I don't know about you guys that played football like I did, but in the midday, you didn't want to eat very much. Because if you went back in the second part of football practice and you ate too much, you saw it again, right? Are y'all hungry now? See, I'm taking away your hunger for food for lunch. Anyways, but at dinner time, you were starving. I mean, you starved nearly to, what do we always say? To death, right? Like we're going to starve to death. Uh, but you were hungry. It was like insatiable. You, you would go home, and I remember my mom would have food just set out, and I would just eat like I've never eaten before. It's like you could almost use the spoon she used to cook for mashed potatoes just to be like, ah, you know, you wanted to rub it in your head so it'd soak in faster. Maybe you've never been that hungry. Okay, uh, but I, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about when you're just hungry. When you and I get a hunger for God that we can't get enough of him, I can promise you this, you'll, you'll be filled like never before. But you got a hunger. You have to ask, you got to seek, you got to knock, you got to be hungry. And most Christians will go through our lives doing really nothing with God. 
We want to be entertained by him for sure. We want to be blessed by him. And we want an eternity with him as long as he doesn't get in the way of the stuff of heaven. We're more lost in the streets of gold and the pearly gates than we are in the Jesus that awaits us. We need to grow a a hunger that says, I want more of Jesus. Peter in this moment didn't even realize he had that. I mean, he's just a guy that woke up every day and went onto his boat and got the sails ready. And if the wind wasn't blowing, they would row out. He'd drop his nets. They'd wait and they'd pull them up, drop their nets, pull them up, drop their nets. And he'd try and catch something. He'd go home every day and he'd see his family and his mother-in-law that we get from Scripture. We don't know where his father-in-law was, but if, if she was in his house, he was deceased. And so he is taking care of mother-in-law and, and family. And, and you can just imagine his partners are there. So with all this happening, you're starting to go, man, Peter had a lot of pressure. He must have been stressed. He must have had some anxiety. And in this one day, his most anxiety-filled day where he's caught nothing, in walks Jesus. I don't believe in coincidence. I want you to know that. I believe God ordains things. And so in that moment, I believe that as Peter dropped his nets, the God of heaven moved the fish. And he did that all night long. And all the fish started lining up. And they said, not yet, guys. Not yet. God said, not yet. Y'all just wait. He'll be back. He'll be back. He's going to come right back here, y'all. Y'all just wait. Peter finally went, I'm done. They went to shore. And all the fish went, bundle up, guys. Come in close. I know, quit pushing, just find your way. And they all lined up, and they all sunk down. Peter threw out that net, kapoosh, and they all rushed in. And you know why they rushed in? Because they were obedient to God. Because in this moment, it wasn't about the net, it wasn't about the fish, it wasn't about the partners, it wasn't about the boats, it wasn't even about Anything other than one man is standing in the boat. And in that moment, Jesus went, all right, fish, let's do this. The boat leans over. This is something Peter's not used to. He's trying to pull up, and Peter must have been a strong guy. If you've ever seen these Middle Eastern fishermen, their arms are huge from pulling up nets. And he pulls. Hey, get over here. Yeah. Hey, something's not right. We must be caught on something. Hey, guys, come help us. And all of a sudden, they start to see fish. And they start to pull in, and both boats lean down. And fish come in, and they get them pushed into both boats, and all of a sudden, the boats sink down, and Peter's going, and there's anything like this. And as he's looking at the fish, he looks at Jesus, who must be standing back going, this is going to be good. Man, y'all don't even know, you guys here, we're about to change the world. And Peter just falls amongst the fish. And he says, teacher, you need to leave me. I don't deserve this. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know my heart. All I can come up with is I am sinful And you're the Lord and we need to part ways because you're in my sinful boat. Kind of wonder if that day if Peter wasn't cursing God for a lack of fish. 
and now God is on his boat. It's amazing in this moment that Jesus' word was enough. And here's the next step. Fear will keep us from really serving Jesus. When Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid, he identified something in Peter that Peter was already feeling. Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men with me. And what he was really saying is this, I know what you're thinking, Peter. If you follow me, you're going to have to leave everything. Am I enough to leave everything for? That's the question we have to ask today, right? What if Jesus told you on your drive home today, leave it all for me? Abandon it all. Everything you got for the sake of me. Could we be Peter? Or will we be found much more like the rich young ruler? You see, one of these guys will change the world. The other will disappear from Scripture forever. We don't know his name. We, we don't know where he went afterward. We don't know what the end of his story was. We do know Peter. We do know that Peter changes the rest of history throughout the New Testament. Peter shows up. Fear could have stopped him. He could have gone, Lord, I've got this family, you see. I'm married. I've got a mother-in-law at the house. You know, no one's going to do this job except for me, Lord. I don't think you, you understand, Lord. I, I'm all these people have. But instead he says, don't let fear drive your life, Peter. Come follow me. Let's go fishing. That was enough to drive Peter to a new place. They left everything. I want to give you one final thought from this. Just like Peter, Jesus' nature will always expose our sin. When you get around Jesus long enough, you'll start to notice things about you you never did. I, I love just, you know, going out and having fun and playing around. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you've worked outside, like I'll mow the grass or something, and I'll come in ready to eat, and then you see the dirt underneath your fingernails. You never notice that until you're ready to eat or shake hands with someone, do you? Usually it always happens when my mom shows up. I go, oh, man, she's going to think I don't wash. And I have to clip my nails and wash my hands real quick. See, that's what happens when you get around Jesus. Start to notice things that you didn't notice before. I didn't realize that I was this filthy. I, Lord, I didn't realize that I had those thoughts. Lord, I didn't realize that I, I wasn't that motivated. But now that you're here... Hmm. Lord, forgive me. Jesus didn't ask Peter to ask for forgiveness. Jesus didn't ask Peter to kneel down in that boat. Jesus didn't ask Peter to do anything but put out to the deep, by the way. But see, when Jesus is in your boat, you're going to respond to him. My question to you today is this. To have this encounter with Jesus, you've got to push away from normal, even from what you think is normal. 
Because it's hard to respond to Jesus when we don't want to. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor today. I want you to change your normal during the time of invitation. Because I think we get used to things. You know, we walk into the church, we sit in our same pew, right? I mean, you've got your own pew, right? You put your name on it. You might leave, you know, a piece of paper that says reserved for me. And when somebody shows up and they're sitting in your pew, you go, that's me. I'm the me on me. You need to leave, Mona me. Anyways, but we, we kind of do our same thing. We sing a song and we may stand there like this or like this or like this. And then the preaching comes and you sit like this. That's okay. But we have the same routine constantly. And so did Peter. And when something changed in it, Jesus shows up and he changes not only Peter's world, but all the world around him. I want that for you today. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. One, I'd like for you to talk to the Lord. We call that prayer. And it, it, it's something as simple as this. Lord, I don't know how to pray. Sounds really weird. But I, I'm just going to talk to you. And so, hey, that's a good starting point. Maybe you would move today. You don't have to come to the altar. These are wooden stairs that a lot of people have prayed at over the years. And maybe you would come here today and you just kneel with your wife or by yourself or with a friend. I don't know what it is, but maybe you might find yourself here. But what if it's this? What if today during the invitation time you got up and went to the back or shifted in your pew or knelt where you were or sat and prayed or stood and prayed? One of those powerful things I've ever seen in all my life is an elderly man in our church while I was growing up stood during one of our invitations like this. He never stood like this. And he just stood and prayed and cried out to God. And that spoke to me. Let God speak to other people through you. Today is the day to push into the deep and to listen to Jesus. Today is the day to leave everything for his cause. And today is the day to change the world by letting Jesus use you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray, God, that you would move mightily in this place. God, that you'd oversee it. God, I'm praying that today there's a lot of Simons in this room. Lord, a lot of men and women who are living a good, ordinary life, but God, are, are struggling here or there, Lord, just to, Lord, maybe even make ends meet. And they're trying and they're striving, but they're not connecting with you. God, would you just move in their lives today, God? Push them into the deep. Lord, ask them to let down their nets. God, and teach them to be the right kind of fishermen. God, we want to be changed by you today. So, Father, help us to understand that your word is enough and that when you say something, we need to follow through. So, Father, lead us to be people like Simon Peter today. Help us to be people that you can call upon, that you can use, even fishermen. God, we praise you and we thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.